The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope you are doing well this morning and... um... Listen, before we settle into to 1 Timothy, um, I'd like to invite you to something. Uh, take just a quick moment to do this. Um, over the last, I'd say, eight years of my life, um, God has used a, a specific um, spiritual discipline in my life to uniquely shape me. And uh, so much so that it, it led me in, in to pursue in my doctoral studies at Dallas Seminary to pursue um, discipleship and spiritual formation, but specifically this one spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. I understand how crazy life is, how we are always on, always doing, always go, 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 don't waste time, right? I get all of that. and God has shown me through this spiritual discipline a way to push against that. And um, it has been something that has just shaped my, my life. And um, a part of that is to, I've put together a seminar um, called Gospel Stillness. And uh, this seminar is, the goal of this seminar is to talk about the spiritual discipline that we see in Scripture of silence and solitude from a biblical perspective. When I say silence and solitude, some of you think monks in a monastery. Not talking about that. When I say silence and solitude, some of you think of monastic Eastern transcendental meditation. Not talking about that. I'm talking about the biblical practice of silence and solitude that we see in Scripture and in church history. The goal of this is to come together and see what the Bible says, and I hope it's going to be very, very practical. Uh, The seminar is on May 20th. It's a Saturday. Uh, Northeast Bible Church in Garden Ridge has has offered to host this, and so it'll be hosted on their campus, and um, it is going to go from 8 to 5. Listen, it's $5 for this seminar, but that's going to cover lunch and snacks and the whole thing. I hope. That some of you, I know you're busy, but I hope that some of you can join us as we walk through this. Um, And this is for, uh, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, I think this is for you. And so I hope you're able to to, uh, be a part of it. If you have any questions, you can find me. Um, If this isn't working for you, find me. And I'd love to help you, and I hope that you'll you'll join me on May 20th for, for that. All right. That's enough, because I'm really excited to get back into 1 Timothy this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them, and would you open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3? Um, while you're getting there, just to start out with some honesty here, um, I wrote this sermon twice. Um, let, me, uh, let me let you know what that means. So um, I'm halfway convinced as well that God just didn't approve of my first time writing it, honestly. So, so here, here it was, Thursday evening. Wonderful week, sermon done, hanging with family on the back porch, watching, I love storms, watching the storms come in, lightning, whoo, it was awesome. Um, 
I love storms, if I haven't mentioned that. So here's the thing, too. Like, although it was lightning like crazy, the power held up. Like, usually we lose power. I don't like that. But um, power held up, except for one, like, flicker, where it was off for, like, two, two seconds at most. Um, but it comes back on, best kind of storm. Well, fast forward, I was laying in bed that night, and we were going to bed, and I had this horrible realization that goes, poof, and hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, <laughs> I already knew the answer to this, but I wondered, did I ever hit save as? I was just wondering, I knew the answer. Um, and here's the thing, with one powerful bolt of lightning, God said, no, 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 no. You're gonna do this one again. You're just gonna start over, all right? So on Thursday night, I rush in and I start doing it again. And, and here's the thing, that's a Ricky move, totally my fault. But as I started over, I mean, I just realized that God had more. I'm grateful that he struck my sermon with lightning. Um, I wish it would have happened on Wednesday night. But anyway, um, I'm doubly excited to preach this sermon this morning. But that being said, as we get to 1 Timothy 3, this is, this is, it reminds us of something so important. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again and again, is that God actually cares about his church. He cares about us. He cares about how we work together, how we function together. He cares about what we do together. He cares about it. In other words, God doesn't just care that you went to church, check. He doesn't just care that we gather. Our God cares about us as we gather. He cares. And last week we started into a section that looked at something very specific, and we're going to continue that on, but God cares about how his church is led. And this is really important because I know that we have churches with different kinds of leadership structures. I know we have different kinds of leaders. I know that churches even call their leaders by different titles. But here's the thing. As we look at scripture, church leadership is not something that we're left to figure out on our own. It's not left for us to just make wild guesses about what could work. Um, we actually see it. God cares about the way his church is led, and he actually tells us. That's what we see here. And although there is certainly room for different kinds of churches and different kinds of communities and different kinds of people and church sizes, listen, there are biblical principles for, for biblical leadership that transcend culture and they reveal God's plan and God's design for us to function as his church for his glory. And we get to look at that plan. We get to look at that design as we look at this text over the next several weeks. Now, one more thing um, before we get to work here. Um, Got to ask this question, and I think it matters here. Uh, why does this matter for us? Why I want to be clear on this, because what difference does a text like this make in your life? I ask this because I am fully aware that this text is written to elders, deacons, church leaders. And I am also fully aware that this is not a pastor's conference. We're a church. Meaning, um, not all of us are elders, not all of us are pastors, not all of us are deacons. And so why does it matter for us as a church as a whole? Why does it matter? So I want to start with three things of why it matters, and I'm also going to finish with the same three things, okay? So this is going to be my, my bookend for the, for the sermon here. All right, why does this text matter for our church? Number one, it matters because this text was given to us for our walk with Christ, our growth, our growth. 
um, the things we're about to walk through, they're not things that are exclusively, only elders do that. Things that we're about to look at are not exclusive to elders. In fact, what we're gonna, we're gonna talk more about this, but these things reveal something. They reveal God's heart for his people as a whole, as the church. So we would do well to listen and to apply. So number one, this text is given to us as we grow in Christ. Number two, this text is given to us because you are a member of the church. You are a member of the body as a follower of Jesus. You've been called into a body, and you have a part to play in this. Um, listen, our church seeks to really live this out, to walk this out, stand on this. Um, we need to know what God says about who steps into these roles. We need to help guard the gate. We need to affirm elders here, and that means we need to know what and who we are affirming. This matters. It matters for you. You're not just along for the ride here. You're an active participant. Then number three, uh, this one might scare you, and I'm just going to leave it here, and then we'll come back, okay? Um, but listen, this text is given to us because God may be calling you to serve in this role. Maybe not today, maybe not next week, but God may be calling you to serve the church in this way. You might not know it yet, and it might not be a part of your three-year plan. Talk to some of our elders who have served before. It probably wasn't a part of their three-year plan. But God calls, and through his word, we're coming under this, and I, we're shaped by this. And my prayer is that we would be a people like this. Uh, Paul says in, in Ephesians 4, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Amen. This is Paul's urge to us. So God may be calling you to this, Serve like this in the church. So hear me. This text matters, not just for the current elders in the room. So this isn't a sermon for five, right? Um, not just for the current elders in the room, but this text matters to us as followers of Jesus so that we know the heart of God. This text matters for us as members of the body of Christ, and this text matters to us as potential future elders of the church. This is important. So here's the plan. This morning, uh, we are gonna be examining God's plan for leadership in his church over the next few weeks, looking at who are the church leaders and what they do. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses two and three this morning. Might as well include verse one in that as well. So I'm going to read it for us, then we'll pray, then we'll get to work. So let's read it together. Here we go. So not together, I'll read it to you, but follow with me. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you care for your church, and we thank you that you have not left us to guess on these things, but you have given us your word. This morning, I pray that us just as a, as, a, as a congregation, that we can come under it, that you would speak, that we would hear, and we would understand how we can live this out. We give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Our text starts with, uh, verse 2 starts with the word, therefore, um, and it points us back to our first verse. And if you remember from last week, really two things I want to pull out as we step into the therefore. 
Um, first is that we're dealing with the office of overseer, right? If you desire the office of overseer, it's a noble task. Craig did a great job with this last week. I encourage you to go back to here. But just so we're clear, we're looking at a specific role in the church, uh, the role of overseer. Your translation might also say bishop. Other texts might say elder or pastor. Um, <clears throat> listen, for our time together here at Stone Oak Bible Church, as we walk through this, I'm going to use the word elder. And it's not, just, it's not because I just don't like overseer. Um, I've chosen the word elder here instead of bishop and instead of overseer, instead of everything else. Not because it's better, um, but because you kind of have to pick one. So we picked one. And in Scripture, they're interchangeable. They're synonymous. Let me give you a good example of this. In our text, 1 Timothy, Paul is giving qualifications for this office. And what word does he use? Overseer. If you look at Titus, Paul, St. Paul, giving very similar, not the same qualifications to the same office, same role, only this time he uses the word elder. Why is that? They're interchangeable. They're interchangeable words. In other words, they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about the same office, same role, same office, different terms, synonymous terms. Here at Stone Oak, we're gonna use the word elder. You're gonna hear elder or pastor. We're talking about the same thing, elder or pastor. Um, so if you call me overseer, that's weird. Um, if you call me bishop, um, I'm probably not gonna respond to you. In fact, we have an elder named Justin Bishop. If you call me bishop, I'm gonna think you got the wrong Justin. I'm not even gonna respond. Um, we use the word elder here. Again, nothing wrong with the other terms. You just gotta pick one. So, but here's, here's the thing here. Um, simply put, God desires that his church be led by men in this role. The office of overseer, bishop, elder, pastor. And not just any, any men. But what we're gonna see is biblically qualified men in this role. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is to aspire to this role, as we saw in verse one, is a noble thing. It's a good thing. It's God-honoring. It's God-honoring. So as you look at verse one, the office or role of elder in the church is God-designed, and to aspire to it is God-honoring. Okay? Then from that, Paul says, therefore. Now what we're gonna see now is the specific qualifications of those who fill this role. Who is this kind of? Of man who could fill this role. That's what we're going to see. We're going to take the first handful, one by one. Um, the first few are positive. The last few are negative. We'll get to that. Um, but I'm going to take them one at a time, and then we're going to bring them all together at the end. So if you look at your text, it says overseers, or I'm going to say elders, must be. Don't miss that. Must be means it's not optional and it's not preferable. It's a non-negotiable. It's a must be. Elders must be. Church, Paul is showing us what is necessary. And we're going to see what happens when we disregard those as we look at this. But number one, the first thing we see in our text, elders must be above reproach. Above reproach. This is the most general, all-encompassing qualification that you're going to see. Above reproach. What it means is that an elder's life is free from any disgraceful or discrediting disqualifying sin in his character or conduct. Um, that there's nothing that would harm the witness of the gospel. Above reproach. Above reproach deals with reputation, both in the church and out. Um, I thought this was really interesting. 
in our community, so Stone Oak, North Central San Antonio, the number, do you know what the number one reason given when you ask someone who's not currently going to church, when you ask them, why don't you go to church? They give, I'm gonna give you the number one and number two reasons because they were almost tied. Here's what they say. A distrust of church leadership and a distrust in the way church leaderships, leadership handles money. In other words, to our great shame, many of us in church leadership have not been above reproach. And it has damaged the reputation of the church. It has damaged the representation of the gospel in our community. If you're here and you have had a pastor, you've been hurt by an elder or a pastor, um, who has not been above reproach, you know the pain that this causes. If you're here and you have ever had an elder that was accused and found out that in the accusations that there were in fact dark corners where sin and dis- you know how much pain that causes. And if you're here and that's you, um, listen, I am so sorry. We've got to do better. Um, This is why God says in his word, my plan for my church is that men who lead the church, they must be above reproach. I gotta tell you something you already know. The world is going to be critical of the church. Okay, you know this. Um, Gonna be critical of the church and its leaders. And when we place men who are not above reproach into this role, whether it be because they're just really charismatic, whether it be because they're, a great businessman, really successful, really wealthy, or maybe just available, right? When we do that, and they're not above reproach, what we do is we throw fuel on an already burning fire against us. And God is telling us here, church, be wise. Elders must be above reproach. And this is all-encompassing. This, this deals with, with all areas of life, from family to business to church to personal life. And here's how I would sum this up. So elders must be men who know and understand that our lives are not for our own fame or reputation, but we live our lives as a representation of Jesus, and therefore, our reputation is tied to his above reproach. What elders say and do as leaders in the church is not just about them and their opinions. It, in many ways, is a representation and a witness of the gospel in our church and in our community. They must be above reproach. When a congregation wonders, what does it look like to follow Jesus in today's insane day? They should be able to look at their elders as a living example of what this means and what this looks like. Now, um, will they be perfect? I want you to hear me loud and clear. No. 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 There is, uh, Craig said this last week, but churches are full of people. And you know the crazy thing about people is they're all sinners. And what the church is, is a collection of sinners who have been saved by grace. That's who we are. So if you're looking for a perfect church, good luck. You're not going to find it. You are not going to find it. Um, And because that is true, let's follow this out. Understand, not only are churches filled with with people, elders are people too. It's crazy. Um, 
And elders are broken people as well. Elders are sinners saved by grace, and we will fail. Um, as a church, in other words, we are not perfect. We stand under the perfection of Jesus Christ alone. And I got to tell you, as elders, we are not perfect. There is only one who is perfect. And we stand under his completed work. If you think about it, the, the qualification for elder, it really is perfection. But the cool thing is it's not my perfection. It's the perfection of Christ that's applied to me. That's what it means. And so now, as elders, saved by grace, not perfect, not glorified yet, but walking with Christ daily, and as Scripture says, an example. You don't need to turn with me here, but listen to what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and then please take this in, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, above reproach, above reproach. So now, Paul's going to move from this, which is very vague, very general, and we're going to get down into some specifics. And uh, what we're going to see is how above reproach looks like in life. And we're going to start with number the first one after this, which is elders must be the husband of one wife. Or to get specific, this is the, the exact phrase is a one-woman man. That's how it reads in, in Greek. One-woman man. We're going to see this in a bit, talk about this more in a bit, but he actually, Paul will actually use the same phrase in uh, chapter 5, verse 9, not to deal with the men, but to deal with the ladies. And so not a one-woman man, but a one-man woman. He'll say that later. Um, but in our text, elders, they're called to be a one-woman man. What on earth does that mean? This is the single most difficult qualification to interpret. Um, I don't know about you. I can think of some different ways to understand that. I don't know if you can as well. Um, and so you got to ask, like, what is Paul getting at when he gives this qualification? Um, I'm going to cut right to it because of time. I think there's only four ways that you can understand this possibly. I'm gonna just give them to you, and then I'm gonna tell you why all of them are wrong but one, okay? No, I'm joking, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kinda of gonna do that. So we're gonna look at four possibilities. I don't think there are any more than four ways to understand that. We're gonna walk through them, and, and, and I wanna look at one that I think is the most strong way to look at this when you take in the whole of scripture. And so follow with me here. What does that mean? Well. What's a one-woman man? Option number one is that an elder must be married. So this is a disqualification of all the singles out there. You're done. Can't do it. Disqualified. No singles. Got to have a wife. Now, although I can absolutely see that if you just take this one, this one line of this one text, um, in light of the rest of the New Testament, I don't think this is even a viable option. Um, it, it seems to go directly into the face, for example, of 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about the, the uh, call of singleness in the church and um, the benefit of singleness to the gospel mission in the church, that they're more affected because they're, not, they're undivided in their mission. Paul himself was single. Um, 
Listen, there's a difference, in other words, from an elder must be a man who has a wife. There's a difference between that and an elder must be a one-wife man. There's a difference in those two things. So I don't think this is the best way to look at it as we look at the fullness of Scripture. But what about option number two? An elder must not be a polygamist. So um, an elder must have one wife at a time. First of all, I'm about to say that this isn't the best interpretation. I do agree with that, okay? So just know, um, all on that one, all for it, all for it. Um, but I don't think that this is what Paul was getting at specifically in this text. And one of the main reasons why is I just told you that he, he, he uses the same phrase for women in chapter five. Why is that weird? Well, because, listen, in history, men, there, men, we have history of men having multiple wives. It's true, um, all throughout history. But I gotta tell you, women having multiple husbands, that, that's never been common. That's something called uh, polyandry. Probably never heard of it because it's not common. Um, in other words, the culture's not struggling with this issue. The church is not struggling with women taking multiple husbands. It would be very weird for Paul to have instructed the older women in the church against having multiple husbands. It seems a little off. So having said that, um, to see this one woman man as a prohibition against multiple spouses seems off. Uh, because of the way he, Paul uses it with ladies, again, I agree with that statement. Elders, you shouldn't do this. Uh, but I don't think that's Paul's intent with this one statement. Well, what about option number three? An elder must marry only once. One woman, man, marry only once. Um, only once in a lifetime. Like the first option, I, I can absolutely see this as you take this one text. But listen, um, I believe it is highly unlikely that this is what Paul meant as well um, for many reasons, but just as to sum it up, I think it goes against what Scripture teaches about marriage in a lot of other places. Um, scripture speaks to marriage quite a bit. Scripture actually speaks to divorce and widows and remarriage quite a bit. And uh, this option, this seems to be in direct odds with what the Bible teaches as a whole. For example, nowhere in Scripture do we see a prohibition against a widower getting remarried. You're not going to find that. You're not going to find that anywhere. In fact, marriage is, remarriage is talked about all through Scripture. Jesus even talks about it. It would be highly unlikely for this text, for Paul to just drop this little nugget when it's so unlike the rest of teaching of scripture on marriage and remarriage. Um, there's a commentator who said it well. He says, the point here is not how often one can be married, but rather how one conducts himself in his marriage. And that leads us to our fourth option. I believe the better option um, to understand what this qualification means, and that is this. An elder must be maritally and sexually above reproach. Um, meaning that an elder must be faithful and true to his one wife. An elder must not deviate off the path of God's design and plan for marriage and sexuality. That he must be above reproach in his marriage and in his sexual life. Listen, I am spending a lot of time on this one. I'm not gonna spend that long with the rest. Um, but I'm doing this because I know we are a part of a highly overly sexualized culture. 
It is what it is. How many times have we seen Christian leaders in the headlines? How many times have we seen Christian leaders caught in sexual sin? Church, this is not what God desires for his church and for those who lead it. God desires that Christians should love their spouses, be faithful to their spouses, and specifically elders, that elders should be one, a one-woman man for the glory of Christ, for the reputation of Christ, and for the good of the church. I promise you I'm going to go quicker with the next ones. Okay, I promise you. In fact, I'm going to lump the next two together, all right? Elders must be sober-minded and self-controlled. Um, sober-minded, self-controlled. So sober-minded, uh, the word is temperate. And uh, temperate, the best way to understand this, is, is clear in thought, level-headed. It's self-control between the ears. Sober-minded. Um, and then on this hand, we have self-control. That's the word for prudent. And um, it's being able to control yourself, control your actions and what you do. So you have sober-minded over here. That's kind of control up here in the head. And then you have self-controlled, which is control of your actions, your hands, right? How many know how important it is to have this kind of leadership, this kind of control in leadership? Um, to be self-controlled in thought and word and action, even in difficult and stressful situations, to be controlled? Listen, God says, that's my desire for the men who lead in the church, that they would be sober-minded and self-controlled. Control up here, control here. What kind, that we would have this kind of control, that we would have this kind of patience. And I know um, you, 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 you look at this and, and we don't want to wait until an elder is leading in the church to figure out if they have this kind of control. And so instead, we, we, we don't want to um, wait until they face a difficulty in the church. Um, no, we want to affirm men that we know are walking in this way in their life. Sober-minded, self-control. Um, in my experience and in my history, serving with and alongside and serving under elders, I have seen two things. Number one, I have seen what an absolute gift of God this kind of leadership is in the church. A sober-minded and self-controlled leader is a gift, and, and here's the thing, it's also extremely contagious in the best way for this church. On the other hand, um, I have also seen what an absolute destructive disaster it is when elders lack sober-mindedness and lack self-control, and it is equally contagious in the worst way to the church they lead. There's almost nothing worse. This matters so much. Self-controlled, sober-minded. Next, elders must be respectable. Um, respectable means that the elder has characteristics or quality that, qualities that evoke kind of a sense of admiration and, and um, um, delight in others. This should sound familiar. It's a little bit like uh, above reproach. And only with this, I want to highlight something. With above reproach, I talked a lot about the, the elders' reputation kind of out there in the community. As we think about respectable, I want to highlight something here, that it's important to understand an elder's impact and repu repu uh, um, reputation in here, in the church. 
And what I mean is, is that an elder is one who is respected in the church. Hear me, not idolized, not worshiped, not put on some weird pedestal that they could never stand on. Not talking about that. Um, but respected. There's a difference between those things. And, and here in God's word, it says that men who are aspiring to this should be men who are respectable within the community. Next, hospitable. I struggle with this one. Um, hospitality has been absolutely hijacked in the church, and it has somehow been reduced to apply to only those who are good at baking things and uh, keeping a clean home so that they can host things. Um, love it. That is absolutely a way hospitality can, can you know, go. Um, but it is so much more. And I'm just going to say it. Uh, this has also become something that is usually seen at what ladies are good at. Why is that? Um, here's a good example. Um, I can't remember the last time I ever heard a man tell me. It could have happened. I can't remember it where a man has told me how much they love and have the gift of hospitality. I can't remember that time. And at the same time, I can think of a handful of ladies who have told me this in the last month. Listen, don't hear me wrong. We need hospitable women. Keep it up, keep it up ladies. Um, but we also need hospitable men. And uh, according to scripture, I'm gonna state this very boldly here. You are not qualified to be an elder if you are not hospitable. Elders must be hospitable. This is a huge deal. It's a huge deal to God. Hospitality means that you're genuinely friendly and welcoming. Here's the thing. You know this already, but people can hurt you. You know that. People can hurt you. When you open yourself up to people, they can hurt you. Hospitality means opening yourself up anyway for the glory of Christ, for the good of the gospel. You open yourself up and you welcome them in. Hospitality. Elders must be hospitable. Next, elders must be able to teach. Um, notice this doesn't say they must be able to like rock your socks off as a preacher or preach a certain way, um, be a crazy communicator. No, it doesn't say that. It says able to teach. Why does this matter? Why does teaching matters? Church, it's because the church is built on this, the word of God. We are built on this, and those who lead it must be able to guide and protect the congregation through this, able to teach. A, to be able to teach means that an elder knows the Bible and is able and ready to instruct others in it. That's what it means. Now, here at our church, um, all of our elders do preach. Uh, they do, and I absolutely love it. I think it is so good and healthy for them to be able to teach the word of God and feel that weight that comes with handling scripture, love it. But I think even more than that, it is good and healthy for us as a church to know that our authority is this, not in any one man. Our authority is this. God works through this in the teaching of, of this. I love the way Paul says it in Titus. I'll put it up here. Um, he, that's an elder. Paul's talking about elders. He, an elder, 
um, must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught. In other words, he must know the word. An elder must know the word. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That's the teaching it to others. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. There's the protection. That's what it means to be able to teach. Know the word, be able to instruct others in it, and to protect the church from wondering. That's what it means. Now, these are all positive. Elders must do this. Uh, now, Paul is going to turn, and we're going to see some negatives. Let's talk about what an elder must not be. All right, here we go. Elders must not be a drunkard. Um, this one's self-explanatory. Not going to spend much time with this. Deals with addiction, someone who's given to too much drink. And um, the call, if you remember, was for an elder to be self-controlled, sober-minded. Remember that? Um, drunkenness is the exact opposite of sober-minded. You can't be sober-minded if you're not sober. This is really a no-brainer. Not going to spend much time here. Um, I will say, though, to be clear here, this isn't a prohibition against all drinking here in this text. Um, this isn't a call uh, to, to put away all the wine, period. This is a call, again, to be above reproach and to be above reproach in your use of alcohol. Paul is prohibiting the abuse of wine. Don't be a drunkard. Um, statistics are staggering. This is a deeply practical command for our age today. Um, alcohol has done so much damage in so many homes. Statistics say that one in four families have a, a current problem with alcohol. That is staggering. It's like if one out of four, this means that as an elder in a church, we are going to be engaged in this kind of ministry of comforting those, counseling those, ministering to those who wrestle with this. And elders are not able to do that when they themselves are given to too much of it. An elder must not be a drunkard. Next, elders must not be violent, but gentle. The word here is one of my favorite words, pugnacious. I wish we used that word more. Um, this is a fighter, hot-tempered, lacking patience, lacking self-control. Again, the parallels are clear. Sober-minded, don't be a drunkard. Self-controlled, don't be pugnacious. Okay, there, the, the, the parallels here are, are really clear. So serving as an elder can put an elder in some highly emotional and highly tense situations. And uh, a, a hot-tempered, violent man is not going to help those situations. He's going to make them worse. He's going to hurt the sheep, not help the sheep, not serve, not care for the sheep. Instead, he is to be gentle it's one of the most important and beautiful characteristics of a leader, gentleness. To be clear, this is not weakness. This is not the unwillingness to lead and to do what's necessary. No, this is leading with a calm, non-anxious presence. Gentleness. Soft but firm words. Level-headedness instead of fighting. And by the way, speaking of fighting, our next one is quarrelsome. Elders, don't be quarrelsome. Um... Quarreling really makes the world go round today. It's so hot right now. It, it is what gets clicks. It's what we see in our news. It's what, it's our social media. That's what Facebook lives. They exist 
because quarreling is so hot right now. That's what it is. And, and our community thrives, lives on this. We love to divide. We love to, to see and to create clear divisions. And unfortunately, what is often true out there is often true in here. Because fighting, strife, divisions, they paralyze and even kill so many churches. And I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you have been through some of these things. And God says here, listen, elders must not be the ones stoking and fanning the flames. They must be peaceable men, gentle, for the glory of God and for the good of the church. Lastly, elders must not be a lover of money. As I mentioned earlier, what were those two reasons that people don't come to church? I don't trust you, pastor, and I don't trust you, pastor, in the way you handle my money. That's it. Um, and here's the, here's the reality. Financial greed and corruption, mishandling, mismanagement of money kills churches. It's a death knell in churches. And so scripture says that elders are men who do not work, do the work of ministry to get rich, to build up their own brand, their own reputation. And yet, unfortunately, we see instances where pastors have in fact done this, and it's, called a, it's caused a severe distrust, a horrible ripple through our community of distrust. We've seen this. But that's not God's desire for his church. It starts here. It's not God's desire for his church, for his leaders in his church. The call here is to be financially above reproach, above board. That means overseeing finances in a way that is clear, that is transparent, purposeful, and good for the ministry. Elders are to, if elders are to manage the finances of the church, they must be financially above reproach. Okay, we're gonna pause here today, that's enough. Um, but I do wanna bring this back. Um, I don't know about you, but as I look at this, I think every single problem that I have seen in the church, not just the American church, we can zoom out and say the church. Every single one stems heartbreakingly back to this and a failure to be these things and to live this way, to do these things. They can all be traced back to this. I'm not gonna give names, but the headlines of pastors who have abused their power and abused the church, losing their temper, being a contentious jerk as a leader, and leading more like a bar fighter than a pastor. That is horrifying. Headlines of pastors using people in the ministry for their own personal or financial gains. Pastors, headlines, engaged in sexual sin, extramarital sexual relationships. It is horrible and heartbreaking, and it can all be traced back to this text, and this is not God's desire for his church or for his leaders. There is a better way, and we must walk in that better way, which comes back to why it's important that we know this, that we walk in this, that we put ourselves under this. Um, I mentioned at the beginning there are three reasons why this text is so important for us, and I want to bring it full circle as we finish. Um, 
Reason number one is I said that this text was given so that we, for our own growth in grace and our own following of Jesus. I want to show you something. Again, these are all the qualifications. Haven't taken them off. All the qualifications. Um, I don't have time this morning to go through what I'm about to show you. I don't. Uh, but I want you to see this. These are all cross-references. References. Um, and do you know what these are? These are all texts that call, I'll just say, non-elders to the very th same thing. Okay, so elders must be by reproach. You can read these. This points you back to, hey, church, brother, sister, you need to be above reproach. In other words, none of these things are exclusively elder. All of these things are God's desire for us as his people. They reveal his desire, his heart for us to live in a way that makes much of Jesus in our community. This is not just an elder's call, although our text is hammering, but there are more red than black. Calling you brother, you sister, to the same thing. Application number one from that is, church, would you just take this in? I hope, you know who you are. If you were listening to this, be like, whoo, glad I'm not an elder. <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Um, I want you to know, these red things, they let you know you're on the hook. This is your calling as well. My prayer is that we would be a people who would be above reproach for the glory of God, knowing that we are Christ's ambassadors. My prayer for our church is that we would listen and to apply and um, imagine if we were a people of this. Just imagine that. Because that's exactly what God's called us to be. Number two, I said at the beginning that this text was given to us because you're a member of the body and you have a part to play. Listen, right now we have five elders. They're awesome. Um, our plan is to bring a few more on this year for affirmation. And uh, so we're literally, church, about to walk through the very thing that we just looked at. And we're, gonna, we're, we're living it out. We're doing it. And we're about to bring this on. And so as we've already seen, this is so important for the health of our church. And you have a part to play. So here's application number two. Get involved. Get involved in this process. Will you pray for our elders? Will you pray for wisdom? We can give thanks to the faithfulness that God has shown our church. And when the time comes, church, will you examine this text as we affirm our elders? This matters deeply. We want to be a people of this. We want to be a church of this. And you have a part to play in this. Lastly, I'm going to say it again. Um, the third reason, as I said, this text might be calling you to serve in this role. God may be calling you to serve the church in this role. You might not know it, might not be a part of your three, five year, 10 year plan, but God may be leading you to serve in this role. And my prayer is that we would be a church of godly men here at Stone Oak Bible Church who would aspire to lead and serve for his glory in this way. So application number three is very direct. Would you pray if this is something that God might be calling you to pursue? It is good to aspire. 
do you aspire to this? If so, let's begin to pray now. Let me know. I'd love to pray with you. We have a study that we go through together as aspiring elders. Um, you don't make some long-term written in blood commitment before you do this. It's, it's for us to dig into scripture and what this means and, and how to do this. I would love to invite you to be a part of that as we walk through it. Um, I'm going to be putting this up before you again and again over the next couple of weeks. So you're going to hear it again and again. But I'm praying that God will, will lead and guide you if this is something he has for you to pursue. No matter how old, no matter how young you are. I'm praying that God will continue to guide us as a church and shape us through this. That's enough for today. We're going to pause here. We're going to come back. We're going to pick it up here next week.